as I continue on in this, I titled it A Sermon to Die For because it's in Acts chapter 7, longest sermon in the book of Acts. And it's one that Stephen, as he's sharing here, he, he's doing it. No one ever really thought of Stephen as being a, a theologian or an expositor of the word. And I shared with you that Stephen went from being a, a waiter waiting on tables to becoming a deacon, ultimately becoming a a great theologian, the things that he would share. And you go, and how'd that happen? And he's just like me and you. He's just a, a, a guy that is filled with the Holy Spirit. That that was really the beauty of it, uh, is that he loved God, he pursued God. Um, I love how Stephen approaches this, is that he's not even, you know, he doesn't have an iPad, he doesn't have a Bible with him, right? He's not sitting there going, he's sharing off the top of his head. He's sharing from his personal knowledge, his personal relationship with God. So this guy's got a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's so important for us to recognize here. But when I think of his life, I think of another young um, man that um, was really wanting to make a difference in the world. I think most of us, if I went by a show of hands, I'd say, hey, and you don't need to do this, but I said, how many of you want your life to count for something? How many of you would like to make a difference in this world? I love that expression, leave it better than how you found it. And that, that your life counts, that when you pass from this life, that that isn't the end of it. We talk sometimes, somebody go, hey, did you hear so-and-so passed away? And I was like, no, I didn't know. Or they'll go, hey, I was talking to so-and-so the other day. And you go, oh, I thought they passed away. And that's a terrible thing when that happens. You go, I thought they died years ago. And you go, it's that old expression, when the world is out of sight, what? out of mind. You go, and that happens a lot because we're busy with a lot of different things. But to know that we were created by God with a plan and a purpose and that our lives really do count for something. And as I was thinking about Stephen's life, because he was a young man, people look at that and we, we've had a lot of young people die and we'll continue to do. And you think, oh man, their life, they, they had so much to live for. They had so much. And then you think of the difference that they made in this life, their, their legacy, the impact that they made because of their love for the Lord. And it was about, I don't know, 68 years ago. It was just this month. If you remember, he was American missionary. It was Jim Elliott. And he had gone to Ecuador with four of his friends and they had prayed about this for a long time. And they had gone down there, the, the name of it, spelled A-U-C-A. It's pronounced Aqua, Aqua. Indians there in Ecuador, and they were a savage people, and they knew that they were, but they believed that was the will of God. And there was this, you know, group that, like I said, they had prayed about it. They had studied. They went there to Ecuador. They learned Spanish. They learned how to speak to the people. They, if you read the story, they flew over and they were dropping down toys and stuff for them to play with yo-yos and trinkets and things to, and then. Finally, they decide, okay, we think we've made connection with them. We're going to go down there. They turned on him. They were savage and they ultimately, they killed him. And so they've died. And all of a sudden there's a buzz within Christianity and Christian circles. And everybody's got an opinion, right? And they die with an opinion, right? And, but much was said that Jim Elliott had wasted his life. They said he was such a promising young man that he was so intelligent that he People had ideas that he could serve in, in politics, that he would have been a great senator or a congressman. And, and so they had all these things to say about him. And so you know, the room's divided. He, was, he just had so much promise. What could have happened? We now have 68 years to look back on. But I remember in reading this quote, it was very early in my journey of faith. 
coming to Christ, and it was said, Jim Elliott, he said, when they found his journal uh, after he, he died and they opened it up and it was just right there on the front page, said, he is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And it was such a profound statement that it had an impact that we're still feeling today. There was more kids on college campuses that stopped what they were doing and went into the mission field, really, that in any other decade, single decade, that was impacted by a singular event. In American history, that's not speaking of around the world, but in American missionary history. And I think that's so profound when you think about it, because God's ways are high above our ways. And, and the ways God moves in the world and what he does, we, we, we're so, man, it's like why Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye. We're all so guilty of we think we see things right, and we, see, we think we see things the way God sees them. And then you get time and perspective, and you get the Bible, and you look through it, and you go, wow, we are so far off on this. And like I said, we're not going to stand before God as a group. We're going to stand before him individually. I'm not your measuring stick. You're not mine. Jesus is yours. And you go, and so and it's pretty simple today. Then if I look at that and I go, man, we all need Jesus, right? For all have sinned and fallen short, very short of the glory of God. And even when we talk about progression, you go, if Jesus is the ideal, right? And he is. And you look at your life today, not trying to ruin your Sunday, but you look at your life and you hold it up next to Jesus. How you doing today? You know, and that puts us all pretty much in our place, right? But we can make progress. And that's the beauty of it is that there, there's progress that can be made. I think of Abraham and God choosing Abraham. And it's a beautiful thing when you think about it. And we'll look at this as we look at this here this morning. But I felt like Stephen, and I believe this about Jim Elliott as well. I said this last week that it was believed that it was the blood of Stephen became the fertilizer, which took the gospel into the Gentile world. And I thought, man, that is so powerful. I hope you don't miss that because it, it, it obviously had an impact on the apostle Paul. And matter of fact, and we'll, you'll see this at the end of the chapter that when Stephen was being stoned to death and he prayed that God wouldn't hold against them, right? Just like Jesus had prayed. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think it was Augustine who said, had not Stephen prayed, Father, forgive them. He said the apostle Paul would have never come to faith because it was Paul was obviously one of that was involved in the death of Stephen. And I think about how profound that is when you think about your legacy and the impact that Stephen's life made on the furtherance of the gospel. And there's times when you know, in all of our lives, you know, like I said, you're going to go, man, does my life really count? And maybe I missed the boat here. And, and I think as you look at this, there's so much that the Lord will draw from it. I'd shared with you last week or two weeks ago, actually, when we first started this, that there were four accusations that we saw in, a in Acts chapter six that were brought against Stephen. The, the Jews said that he blasphemed against God, right? That he blasphemed against Moses, that he blasphemed against the law of Moses and he blasphemed against the temple of God. I don't think you could blaspheme any further than that. That was like, and but none of it was true. They were just all lies, but man, they took this to the hilt. And the thing that really impressed me about Stephen in this, the high priest in verse one of chapter seven, he says to Stephen, he says, are these accusations true? And it's Stephen's response, I think that means so much to me, and I hope that it does to you. I mean, because we, we tend to, when somebody accuses us of something, what do we want to do? We want to defend ourselves, right? We want to go to the hill. We want to go to the wall, people. But Stephen here, he doesn't even try to defend himself. 
What he uses as an opportunity is to share really the gospel in the truest sense. He's going to bring this all the way up to Jesus being the promise that ultimately in this new thing that God was doing that began all the way with Abraham, with the beginning of, of faith, all the way to the culmination of Jesus being born in this world and dying upon the cross. He makes that his ideal. That, that's his goal. And again, it shows so much of the Christ-likeness, and those are things that we look at in our life. So you ask yourself this morning, you go, are you a defensive person? If you're accused of something, do you go, they say the best defense is a good offense. So do you go, and I always love this. You could, have you ever had said something to somebody like, hey, you're sinning, you're messing up. And they look at you and they go, I'm not Jesus. Like, they go, like, that's the out. Only Jesus is perfect, right? And you go, but Stephen was a man just like you and I or, or human. Paul, the apostle, all the martyrs, they were all just people like us, but they lived lives that were fully dedicated to the things of God. And so Stephen begins this testimony, he goes all the way back to Abraham. And, and, and just for time's sake, I'm just going to take you through the high points of this, you know, finish this up today. Uh, we literally could spend weeks in this. There's just so much, and I struggled with it all day yesterday because there's just key points that you literally could build a sermon off of. You ever go read Spurgeon's sermons, that's what he did. He spent years and years. You might spend year, one year on one verse. It's just, this is how rich God's word is. But I want to give you this kind of this panoramic view here that I was speaking of. So in, in Acts chapter seven, verses one through eight, Stephen takes them back and he starts talking about Abraham. And there's a reason because what he wants them to understand and what I want you to understand as you're looking at Acts chapter seven, the goal here for Stephen was he wanted them to understand that they had a history of rebellion against God, that historically speaking, they rebelled against the things of God and that God was very merciful to them, even in the midst of their rebellion. And in verses two and three, he said, this was Stephen's reply. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me, our glorious God. I love how he begins the whole chapter here. He says, our glorious God. He's tying them into the fact that I haven't blasphemed God. He's quoting Psalm 29 there. And it's the only other reference to our glorious God that, that's used. For the, for the religious Jew who knew their Bible, and they did, they would have went, oh, okay, he's talking about God, our God. And he says, our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives, excuse me, and come to the land in which I will show you. It says, so Abraham left the land and the Chaldeans, and he lived in Haran until his father died. And then God brought him here to the land where you now live. Now, the interesting thing, as I shared with you, is that God told him to go to Canaan. He went to Haran. You go, so it was partial obedience. He wasn't even obedient. And he took his dad with him. Now we go, oh, that was loving. He goes, but that's not what God told him to do. And what I love about that is you go, what does that demonstrate about God? Could God just have offed Abram at that point and just said, you know what? I told you what to do and you did not do it. And so now guess what? I am done with you and I'm on to the, the next faithful person that I can find, right? And we think like that, right? We mess up and we go, God's done with me. No, because God's goodness isn't predicated on your goodness. His goodness is predicated on who he is. That's the whole Abrahamic covenant, right? When he cuts the covenant with Abraham with regard to Abraham's children and his offspring and everything else, what we call it, obviously, the, the covenant of salvation and you, the Abrahamic covenant, you go, God cut it alone. 
He didn't even let Abraham enter into the covenant because if Abraham, knowing Abraham, he was going to break the covenant, then the promise of God, Jesus never would have been born into this world and we would never be saved. And so God didn't allow Abraham to enter into that covenant. He did it all by himself. So he bound himself to the promise and thank God for that. And you look at this and so he's taking him back there and he wants him to understand that, that it was God and he did something special. Even when God, or excuse me, even when Abraham didn't go where God told him to go, like I said, God didn't stop there. It says, and I love this, and I shared this with you. He says, then God brought him here to the land where you now live. God brought him. I don't know how he brought him. I don't know if it was like the first Uber in the world that went and picked him up or it was a chariot or he just, it would be cool to know how he actually did it, but it's not there in scripture. So we, we can only guess as to how it got there, but he did. But it just demonstrates that God's merciful, that God has a plan. And that God works that plan in and through our lives. Now, does he desire agreement with us? Yes. Yeah. And there are consequences that there is a point where, again, you know, we look at God when they turn against God and they won't walk with God. As we read in Romans 1, it says, and God gave them over. There is a point if you rebel against God and you continue to rebel against God, it says at some point, God says, like Burger King, have it your way. And that's not going to be good. It will be charbroiled. It's going to be charred to the umph degree here. But what he wants, Stephen wants them to know is what I want you to understand as well. Because what he was trying to communicate to the Jews, because they had made everything about the temple, right? And because the, the presence of God, remember one, one day out of the year, Yom Kippur, God would come down to the temple. And the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, right? And, and the presence of God would meet them over the mercy seat there, right? That was one day out of the year. And so the Jews made it all about the temple. It was, it's like they were, in essence, they were saying, if you want a relationship with God, you got to come to the temple. You got to come to the temple. You got to come to the temple. And Stephen knew that Jesus was doing a new thing, that Jesus had said that I'll be with you. He said, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. When the Holy Spirit was given, he said, he won't just be with you, but he'll be in you. And this was the new thing that God was doing, but the Jews were rejecting. They had their religion. They had their way, they had the temple. And in a very polite way, Stephen is saying, where did God meet Abraham? Did he meet Abraham in the temple? No, he met him in Mesopotamia. And what was Abraham doing in Mesopotamia? It says he was sitting out and he wasn't worshiping God. He was worshiping the moon. He was worshiping a created thing, God, but he loved him, right? And so he reaches him there. What do we see about God? Oh, we have a very merciful God. Amen. And so Stephen, again, these points that, again, in, unless you have the Spirit of God, what do we understand? He's given them, Jesus would say this, I've given you eyes to see and ears to hear, but what? You can't see and you can't hear. Their eyes were closed, their ears, they, we see at the end of the chapter, they literally put their, they're like a two-year-old. They put their hands over their ears. These are, this is the Sanhedrin. These are religious leaders and they're putting their hands over theirs and they're rushing after Stephen to kill him. And so after, after Abraham, he turns his attention to Joseph. Think about what does he do here and how the Israelites, they came to, G, to Egypt to begin with. He was one of Abraham's grandsons, right? So he comes from Egypt to the promised land. It says this in verse nine, these patriarchs were jealous. Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? He tells them a dream and they don't like the dream. And so they get jealous of him and they throw him in a pit, leave him for dead, take his coat of many colors, his dad, no, look, he's been, he's been killed and feel terrible about it and go and then sell him off into slavery. And it says, 
and his brothers were jealous of their brother Joseph, and so they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. And so what is Stephen making the point here? He's going, you have a history of what? Of resisting the very people that God sends to you with a message, right? Think about, we'll go there later, but you think about the prophets, right? The prophets that, that God sent, you get thrown in a cave, you get stabbed, you're left for dead, they saw you in half, everything that you can think of. This was just complete evil that's happened throughout the history of the children of Israel to the very people that God sent. So I always think of that as a pastor. I can teach anytime. Something I didn't like anything Pastor Mike said. I, I, I go, don't shoot the message. I go, you can examine it. I go, but what's the bottom line? I go, what are we leading to? It's either repentance, because this is what it's all about. Repent is turn from yourself and turn to God. And people don't like that because they want to go, hey, I think I'm okay. But when I come to church, I want to be encouraged. I just want to be built up. I just want to feel good. He made me feel terrible. You go, well, what did you feel terrible? He told me I should stop doing this and I should stop doing this. And you go, who's he? And he goes, he was just telling you what the Bible says. I don't read it like that. Me and the guy upstairs, we've made a deal. And all of a sudden you start, and so I get it. You know, the truth, Jesus said, you'll know the truth will what? Set you free. But man, truth comes at a price, comes at a big price. And so again, they were so jealous that God was speaking through Joseph and that even one day that Joseph would be raised up and they would bow down to Joseph, right? Verses 9 and 10 there, it says in, in chapter 7, it says, but God was with him, it says, and rescued him from all of his troubles and God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. In other words, when through all the jealousy, the resistance, the patriarchs, God was what? He was patient and he was merciful to them, to them. And he kept working for their deliverance, right? They rejected the word of God that came to them through Joseph's dream, right? Instead of judging them, which he had the right to do at that point, what does he do? He used their very sin. This is the thing. We get so confused about how God operates. He used their very sin to bring them to a place where they could be rescued. Because when they ran out of food there in Bethlehem, the house of bread, where did they do? They end up going to Egypt. They came to their brother who they hated. So Stephen, again, is pointing out an important fact that just, you see the parallels between Jesus and Joseph here, right? He was rejected by his brothers, Joseph, his brothers, Jesus, the Jews, wasn't recognized at his first coming, right? Joseph, when he spoke, his brothers, instead of recognizing it was from God, they didn't get it. He ends up in slavery and they come to him the second time when he's in Egypt. And now what? Their eyes are opened, right? Oh, they see the truth. Jesus says, John writes of Jesus, says Jesus came to his own and his own what? Knew him not. They didn't recognize him. But will they recognize him when he comes at his second coming? Absolutely. They know that. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I always remind of this. I love this. Think about what's going to be like for the Jews. It says, then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me in whom they pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. So they will. One day they're going to recognize it was Jesus whom we crucified. Exactly what Peter stood up. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, right? that they would understand that he was both Savior and Lord. 
proves the point, you know, that the one that God selects is the one that the nation rejects. Then he moves on quickly in this, and, and this takes up really the majority of, the, of chapter seven. He goes to Moses because they'd said two things, that he had, he, Stephen had blasphemed against Moses and he had blasphemed against the law of Moses. So he really goes to that and dedicates a lot of space here. And so you think about the raising up of Moses, so many parallels, maybe you can see it right away in his life that just like Jesus, he was protected at birth and protected him through his uh, young adult life. And he says Moses was a beautiful baby, that he had he'd grown in favor, the same thing Jesus, that the people, they loved him and, and enjoyed him. But ultimately, as he began to speak, there was many who of the Jews would reject him and turn away from him. And so I, I love this because obviously God raised Moses up to be a, a deliverer for, we would say, an oppressed people. And that's what Jesus said as well, that he said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. He didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. But when Moses makes his first appearance, they resist him, just as they did Joseph as well. In verse 26 there of Acts chapter 7, you can look down there. Remember, there's a fight between two Israelites there. And so the next day, Moses goes out and he visits the two guys and he tries to become the peacemaker, right? He's there on behalf of God. And he says, man, he, he said, are you guys brothers? Why are you fighting each other? In verse 27, it says, but the man in the wrong, he pushed Moses aside. He said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? And so here we see their rejection of Moses as a deliverer. The same way, like I said, his brothers did with Joseph in the same way that we see ultimately with Jesus. This is, if you take the time and study this, you go, man, it is so profound. The words that God gave Stephen to share here, they're rich, like I said, and he's just rattling this off the top of his head. We have a Bible that we can go back and study. They didn't even have the New Testament, right? All they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet, right? And so what does Moses do? We know from Scripture he flees to his father-in-law's house there at Midian on the backside of the desert. But what is God? God is patient with him, right? God still has a plan. Have you ever found in your own life, you ever, you ever ran from God's plan or his purpose in your life? He'll let you, and you can sit out there on the backside of a desert. I like in verse 34, he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. God says that I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them now. Go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. In verse 36, this is now he understands he's the rejected ruler, deliverer. He doesn't understand anything at this point. Um, this is, and by many means and of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years. And I think of Moses' life, and I shared this with you. I love that D.L. Moody quote. I read it years ago. He said, Moses spent the 40 years thinking that he was somebody, 40 years learning that he was a nobody, and then 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And it's really true. that you, and, and I've read it different ways in that, that God can take a nobody and make him a somebody. And that's the beauty of, but it took, took Moses 40 years. Has it taken you 40 years? in your own journey of faith, and you go, maybe, and you go, but even if I just tell you today, there's grace there. Understand, God's working. God's working. Growth is, it's progressive, right? And you think, was Abraham making progress? And you go, yes. Is he, did Abraham start out with perfect faith? We think of him. And you go, no, but he grew. He continued to grow in faith. We understand faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God, is stay in the Word. And, and again, just 
feed on the word of God and let the word of God speak to you. And then, and it's not just that you go, oh, I, I've heard the word of God. You go, no, but do it, put it into practice. And that's where it becomes you. You own it at that point. I love when people, this is my life verse, right? That I live my life by this verse. I don't know. Do you have a life verse that you can share with people? I, I love to, when I meet people that I might've known, because one of the things, if I go to a pastor's conference, they, they always go, Pastor Mike, so where do you pastor a church at? Bakersfield, California. And they go, Bakersfield. They go, oh, that's where I, above Los Angeles area. Tow trucks take you there, right? You go, yeah, if you get broken down, they got dealerships right there when you get into town. That's why they put them right there. Fix your car, send you on your road, because Bakersfield isn't the place you want to be. Yeah. No, that's not necessarily. It's home. They go, oh, they go, so where, where were you born? I go, Bakersfield. And then they just stop. They go, you pastor a church in the town that you were born in? No way. How does that work? I go, it's not the easiest thing. People know you and they know my sin. And so I think about it, they go, what? So my life verse is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If a person's in Christ, what? They're a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. I tell myself that all the time. It, that's one of those things I will share that with people. I hope you have a verse that you can springboard off of in your own life that you're not, there's no shame in Jesus Christ. He came for sinners, right? He didn't come for good people. I love people. I'm a pretty good person. Jesus, you. No, it's pretty, pretty simple. He could be making you good, but what the good in you is really what? Him, as you become more like him, we need to die. That's the thing is I will, again, for us to put on immortality, we've got to what? We got to put off mortality. We got to let go. And it's what a great reminder. I think of Moses and it reminds me of Hebrews eleven twenty four. It says, and it was by faith that Moses, when he grew, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. I love that because you think about that. Remember, he was put in the Nile River there and found by Pharaoh's daughter, took him in, raised him as his own. And obviously he had a understanding later on in his life that he was a Hebrew. And so ultimately at 40 years of age, he went out to find himself. He would discover who he was. Because until you understand who you are, you'll never understand who God is in the sense of what he desires to do in and through your life. And so then again, that's where Hebrews 11 comes in there. And then it's interesting as Moses is there and he's now receiving, he's Again, where is he meeting God? Again, Stephen's drawing us to this point. He's, he's not meeting him in the temple. He's meeting him on Mount Sinai, right? In front of a burning bush, okay? And so Stephen keeps drawing this out, that God's a God of revelation, you guys. He's, it's not confined to the church. You can find him here. He's here, but he's everywhere. You can find him. That's the beauty of it. And he says in verses 39 through 41, in Acts 7, he says, but our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. For this, we don't know what will become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed it, and they celebrated over this thing that they had made. Isn't that how it is? Here's Moses is coming. He's speaking on behalf of God, and they're going, you know what? We're not waiting. We And they fashioned a god after what they wanted, a god made from their own hands. And it says in verse 42, and here's the danger of it. And this could happen in anybody's life because yes, God is merciful and he's gracious. And it says, 
but then God turned away from them and he abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. And since they rejected the true worship of God, they went after idols that were made with their own hands, which really were just demons, right? It was just demonic worship. Verse 43 goes on, it says, and no, it says, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of the God of Raphon, and the images you made to worship them. And again, Molech, remember, Molech is where they offered their babies on this altar. They would heat it up. It was made out of bronze, and they would heat it up, and they would lay their babies, their firstborn, on that altar and sacrifice it to this false god, this god of, they believed, of fertility, that God would bless their crops and bless their families. And I said, but what a correlation between that and abortion today in our world is that people go, having a baby, that would, that'll get in the way of my profession. I didn't mean to have this because da, 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 I want this. And we, when they offer that, it's called the altar of, of convenience at, in our world today. We don't see it as demonic, but it is. It's definitely demonic. And yet it's still practiced today. And like I said, idol worship hasn't diminished a bit. There's probably more idol worship today in the world than there ever was at any previous time, but not with the Jews. The Jews learn their lesson. You spend enough time in Babylon and you come out and that's one thing of all the things they, they have a, they, their sin isn't, you would say, idolatry anymore. You know what their sin became was hypocrisy more than anything else. Verse 45 goes on, it says, years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations, God drove them out of this land. The tabernacle was taken with them into their territory and it stayed there until the time of King David. And then he goes on in verses 45 and 50, talking about Joshua and David entering into the promised land. And then David had a desire, remember, to build a house for God. But he said, because you're a man of war and you've shed blood, he said, you're not going to build it. He said, but your son can build it. And Solomon ended up building the temple, but it draws them back again. It was like, did, where did God meet David? It wasn't in the temple. That God's a God of revelation and that God will meet us wherever God wants to meet with us and wherever we want to meet with him. And so he's trying to help the Jews understand how God has operated. And then with the establishment of the temple, he goes in verses 51 through 53, he says, you stubborn people, he says, you are heathen at heart, deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you name one of the prophets that your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And angels is just messengers, translated the word messengers there. And so he tells them, he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And the answer was every one of them, every one of them. Because see here, you got to understand what their concept became about was that the temple then becomes everything to the Jews. Let's say if you were just talking with somebody out on the street, right? Do you have the authority to speak the word of God if you were in a grocery store? Yes. But will people reject it because they go, it's not church? Yeah. They go, oh, who are you? Okay, you're not a pastor. You're not teaching from a pulpit. This isn't Sunday. And many believers live their life that way. They go, see, it's all about, hey, you can bring them to church if you can convince them to come to church. But there's nothing in the scripture that is telling you and I to convince people to come to church. He's saying, you are the church. You are the church. He lives in you. And he wants to reveal himself through you. The Jews were going, no, that's not what it is. If you want to come to God, you come to the temple. 
because that's where he is. And Stephen's going, have you, have you missed it? Are you missed it? Yes, one day, one day out of the year, he's in the temple. But Jesus is going, guess what? You can have him every day of the year. What's better, a present Jesus in that regard or the presence of the Holy Spirit? And most people would say, I want Jesus and a present Jesus. And Jesus says, it's better that I go, for when I go, I'll ask the Father to send another in my name, the Paracletos, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and in you and guide you and lead you, and he will bring to remembrance all the things. You go, you got a helper. Do you need a helper? I need a helper. And God's going, I've, I'm giving it to you. And they were just like, ugh. And you could see, what did they end up doing? Like I said, they killed everybody who came to him. Jeremiah, they tossed him to a prison. They killed Zechariah after sticking Isaiah in a tree trunk and sawing him in half. Man, it's the torture. People just did not want to hear what they had to say. And so their response was simply this. It says in verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fist at him in rage, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw. Now, this was different. In verse 1, what did he say? He said he saw the God of glory, right? The God of glory, referencing Psalm 29. But here in verse 55, he said he saw the glory of God, simply to say this, those that seek the God of glory will experience the glory of God. I promise you, you, you've probably seen videos, TikTok, YouTube videos. You ever seen somebody, a saint that's dying? On, and they literally are filming it, right? And they're reaching up to heaven, right? And they're like, they're going like this. They're just like, and I, I've seen people that are reaching up to heaven. And they're going, and it's, I see him, he's there. And they're talking to God. And they're and literally, then boom, they go. And they go, oh my gosh, they went. And I've seen people that were there, they're screaming at the top of their lungs. Because what they're not seeing is God. They're seeing hell. And think about this. Jesus said it, and this is, you can see hell right here. It says that they rushed him. And it says, and with what? The gnashing of teeth, right? Do you remember that word gnashing? Where do you hear that? With regard to what? Hell. In hell, there'll be what? The weeping and what? Gnashing of teeth, right? So you see hell is unleashed here. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into the heavens and saw the glory of God. And why would they have hated that so much? Because to the Jew, where was God? In the temple. And here's Stephen going, and he's seeing him. He's seeing him. And says, and he saw Jesus standing. We read a second. We go, when Jesus ascended into heaven, it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why would he be standing? Why would he be standing? We'd still do it today, right? We stand up and we go, we call it a what? Standing ovation. Now, it doesn't tell us that, but man, that's got to be in the sense what it is, right? He's getting a standing ovation. You go, wow, here's a guy. That should be an encouragement to us that God sees everything that you go through in this life. And he, his desire, one day when you stand before him and I stand before him, we want to hear the words, what? Well done. Not wait, don't stop with that. Well done could also mean steak. Okay, so wait, let him finish the sentence. Don't run him. If he starts, well done, don't just go, yeah. Go, Jesus, finish the sentence, please. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what? The joy that's set before you. And you go, oh, yeah. It says, and he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at his right hand. It says, and then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats. They laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. And it's that thing right there, that moment, that reaction. You go, how do you respond when someone is killing you and to be praising God in the midst of it? You better know what you know, and you better know it to be true, because that's really where it comes out, that response. You go, wow. And I love that, as Augustine said, that it was that prayer that was the impact that drew, I believe, Saul to become the Apostle Paul. He's going, God, don't hold it against him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that became the fertilizer. That was the fertilizer that God used to reach Saul. And so I, I say this, as we invite those that'll pass out the elements of communion to us today, you don't know all the things that you're gonna go through in this life. You don't know the difficulties, the struggles. The enemy wants you to think that whenever you go through something hard that God is against you. But I think through all this that we've just seen here just briefly this morning is that God in all things. That's why the Bible tells us over and over again, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. You give your life to God and no matter what you go through in this life, God uses those things for his glory and ultimately for your good. And as a believer, you, like you said, you, today you go, man, I'm not the, the, the best. I don't remember all the addresses in the Bible and everything else. I, I don't either doesn't matter. Look at Stephen. Stephen's just off the top of his head here because it comes from the depth of his heart. He knows the Bible because he studied the Bible. But more than that, he loves the God of the Bible. And anytime he has a chance to talk about God, he talks about God. And let that be our motivation this year as we think about life as you go, because you're going to find it out pretty quick that really the only thing that matters, only three things that last for eternity. God, the word of God and the souls of men. Everything else, it's going to burn. Make that our dedication. Amen. This year, thank God for His amazing grace. And so we celebrate today. Everything that Stephen was saying is that hey, God's a God of revelation. He's not confined to the temple. And if He is confined to the temple, guess what that temple is? That's me and that's you. And then, as you receive communion today, be reminded of that He's with you, and go with God today and seek his glory. Seek the God of glory that you, this week, you can see the glory of God, and you can see it as he works in and through your life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for communion. Pray that, God, you would just bless this time that we have to receive it together. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for dying for us. Father, if there's any here that are in the sanctuary and at home today that have yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, let this be the day where they say, God, forgive me my sin. Forgive me for being about myself, living for myself. But God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. And I repent. I turn from my sin today. I turn to you and, and ask you to wash me and cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could know not just peace with God, but I could know the peace of God. Or what a wonderful day that would be. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed as you enjoy communion.